Can everyone see that screen? Yeah. All right, yeah. He can't Go read on. the Bible. Go on, we'll try, we'll try. <laughs> Go on. Well, God bless you all. Good to see so many here. And uh, praise the Lord. Thank the Lord for the welcome I've received and this weekend. And um, you read the Bible or what? Yeah. Sure? Yeah, we'll go with that. And we've got the most wonderful subject, truth, from the Bible to talk about tonight, the rapture. And the way we're going to do this, we're going to have two sessions. First session is going to be, what is it? What is the rapture? And in the second session, we're going to look at the tribulation, why we do not go through the tribulation that is to come. These seven years that are coming on the earth, that are going to be the most dreadful, horrific time this world has ever known. So, before we do anything else, let's just bow our hearts, bow our heads, and just ask for the Lord's help. Heavenly Father, we're here because you have a purpose for each one of us to be here tonight. To be in your presence, in the presence of your glorious Son, our Lord Jesus. And we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit to communicate, to speak, and also to hear and understand what it is that you want to teach us, each and every one of us. Nobody's here by accident. Nobody's here because they shouldn't be here, Lord. There's a purpose. And I just pray, Lord, you'll be glorified and you will lead us through this night and you will protect this meeting and you'll use it far and wide for the glory and honour of your name and the building up of your body, the church, your bride that we've just sung about. We ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Yep, that's good. You might hear me a bit better now. So, a scripture to begin with. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14. God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And when it comes to a doctrine or a teaching of truth in the Bible, the rapture in the church out there around the world, there is so much confusion. There's so much conflict, so much argument, so many ministers and pastors and teachers saying one thing and others saying another. And the people are left wondering, well, who's right? What's true? Can we actually know the truth about the rapture? Well, yes. God does not leave us in confusion. He doesn't want us to leave us wondering, scratching our heads. And he certainly doesn't want us fighting. So I'm going to begin in 1 Corinthians 15, right at the end of this incredible chapter when Paul talks about the resurrection, which is the basis of our hope, the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 51, Behold, which means stop, listen, think. Behold, I tell you a mystery. And what he means by mystery is something that has not been revealed to God's people by God until this moment in time. So what Paul is about to say, it's not in the Old Testament. It's not really in the Gospels. Paul has been given that call by God to talk about this mystery. God is now going to make something known to the church, to the Christians. And he says, we will not all sleep. And he's not talking about going to bed. 
By sleep, it means dying. He says, we as Christians, we won't all die. But we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. So something is going to happen to the Christians, to our bodies, in the twinkling of an eye. Our Bibles were not written in English. We've got an English translation of the Bible. The New Testament was written in Greek. So Paul used the Greek word atomo, where we get our English word atom. What is an atom? An atom is the smallest thing in the universe. Everything you see, everything you can feel, our bodies are made up of atoms. You can't see an atom, you've got to use a really powerful microscope. And scientists, the so-called experts, estimate that in the average size human body, there are 6,500 million, 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 million atoms inside us. Which means an atom is absolutely minute. And Paul is saying this change that's going to happen to you, going to happen to me when the trumpet of God sounds, it's going to be happening in a, in a, a moment of time that you can't measure. It's so small. It's faster than I can click and it's faster than you can blink. So he says it's a mystery. I am bringing you a new revelation from God. Something is going to happen. We're going to be changed. We're going to be with our Lord. In the Old Testament, you can think of two men, very famous men, Enoch and Elijah, who were walking on the earth, living out their lives, serving God, and suddenly, in a moment, they're gone. It says Enoch walked with God, and he was no more, because God took him. Elijah... He's prophesying, he's serving the Lord, and all of a sudden, there's a chariot, a fiery chariot of horses, suddenly catches Elijah up in a whirlwind, and he's gone, he's into heaven. So we know from the Old Testament that it is possible for men to suddenly disappear, be taken up into heaven. But in the Old Testament, nowhere does God say, that's going to happen to all of his people. They are special cases, Enoch and Elijah, prophets of God. So when Paul's writing Corinthians, he says, but I now tell you a mystery. God wants you to know this is going to happen to you all one day. We're not all going to die. We're all going to be changed. John 14 at the Last Supper. This is when the Lord Jesus, I believe, starts to introduce the idea of a rapture. He's just told his disciples that he's going to leave them and they can't follow. And they're heartbroken, they're crushed. And Jesus says those amazing words, let not your heart be troubled. Beautiful words. The Lord might want to say that to somebody tonight. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms or many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. This is the comfort and the hope Jesus is giving to the disciples. I'm going to leave you now, but one day soon I'm going to come and I'm going to take you to be with me 
where I am, in my Father's house, in heaven. So there is a promise from Jesus. No mention of the rapture, just a promise, I'm coming to take you. And Christians, many Christians for centuries have taught, oh, well, that's about death. When we die, Jesus comes and takes us to heaven. And in other words, Jesus would have to come millions of times in that case. That, he's not talking about death. He just says, I'm coming to take you to be with me where I am. From where you are on earth to where I am in heaven. But, objection, Your Honour. Um, so you want to talk about the rapture, but the word rapture, it's not even in the Bible. That is an argument many Christians use. So we're going to deal with it from the start. The word rapture isn't even in the Bible, so why are you talking about a rapture? Well, neither is the word trinity. But put your hands up if you believe in the trinity. That God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. That truth is the foundation of our understanding of who God is. God is one, but he's three persons. That doctrine, you take that doctrine out of the Bible, you've got no Bible. You've got no Christian faith. You end up with Judaism, you end up with Islam, you end up... But the word itself is nowhere to be found in the Bible. That word was invented by a man about 200 years after the Lord Jesus called Tertullian. He came up with a Latin word, Trinitas, to try and describe who God is. He's one, but he's three. So the word, that word, Trinity, doesn't have to be in the Bible for you to believe what that word stands for. The doctrine, truth about the Bible is, about the Trinity, is in the Bible. Now, let's go to our main rapture passage, which is 1 Thessalonians, Paul again, chapter 4. And deal with this question, this objection. Rapture is not there. You won't see that word there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede or will not go before those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Just read that in 1 Corinthians 15. And the dead in Christ, those who are asleep, they're going to rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, when Jesus comes down from heaven, will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Those two words caught up, they are the key words. In the Greek, Paul didn't speak English, he spoke Greek, he wrote this in Greek. He used this word, harpazo. Can you say harpazo? Just say it, harpazo. And it can mean to carry off by force, to rescue from danger, to move someone quickly to another place, to snatch away suddenly, or to eagerly claim something or someone for yourself. 
Right. Now, here's an example. That's what the original Bible, the original New Testament looks like. That's how Matthew's Gospel begins. Written in there in, in Greek. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's what Greek looks like. So, here's our Greek word harpazo, Paul's using here in 1 Thessalonians. It occurs in other parts of the Bible, in other parts of the New Testament. So let's have a look. John 6, verse 15. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. The people are amazed at this miracle. And it says they come to take Jesus by force and make him king. They come to harpazo him, come to take him and make him king. Acts chapter 8 is when Philip leads an Ethiopian unit to the Lord. That Ethiopian is saved, wants to be baptised. Paul baptises him in a pool of water by the side of the road. And it says, just as Paul came out of the water, the Holy Spirit caught away Philip. And Philip found himself in a totally new place called Azotus. He's just come out of the water, he's just done a baptism, and suddenly the Holy Spirit catches Philip. Harpazo taken to another place. Acts 23. The Apostle Paul is in danger. Pharisees, Sadducees, these religious men are having an argument and they're getting angry towards Paul. And the Roman centurion sends some soldiers to take Paul away by force. Get him out of there quick because he's in danger of his life. Arpazzo. Take away quick. 2 Corinthians 12. I'm going to read this incredible passage. This is Paul who says, I know a man in Christ, and he's talking about himself. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven where God is. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise whether in the body or out of the body I do not know God knows and he heard things that cannot be told which man may not utter something had happened to Paul 14 years before he wrote this letter he was suddenly up in heaven he doesn't know whether he was in there in his body or his spirit went up into paradise he was harpazoed suddenly caught up and taken into a new place. I'm going to leave Revelation 12, but that is a reference to when Jesus ascended. Satan is trying to kill, trying to destroy Jesus. He fails, and ultimately Jesus is caught up. He's taken up into heaven. Right, now, stay with me. You've just had a bit of Greek. This is Latin. Uh, horrible language but if you were living in this country for like a thousand years many years ago and you went to a church all you would hear would be Latin from a priest because the Roman Catholic Church controlled this country controlled Europe and the priests would just speak Latin and the people in the, in the chairs wouldn't have a clue would not have a clue until the priest told them what to believe that man Jerome 1700 years ago, he translated the Greek into Latin. 
So, when you came to our Thessalonians passage about being caught up, we won't all die, we'll all change, we'll be caught up, the dead in Christ first and then we who remain, that's what it looks like in the Latin Bible. The Roman Catholic Church uses that Bible to this day. Their theologians, their priests, they use the Latin Bible. That's what Latin looks like. I can't pronounce it. De inde nos qui vivimus qui relinquimur simul rapimur. Caught up. Harpazo. That's the Latin word that was used for the church being caught up. And the English word we get from that is rapture. That's where the word rapture comes from. So when people say, oh, well, rapture, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Yeah, that word is not in your English Bible because you're English. But if you've got a Latin Bible, there it is. That's where it comes from. It's just in English, people prefer to use the words caught up because it's easy to understand. You're caught up. You're taken, you're snatched, you're carried away instead of raptured. What, you've got to explain what does rapture mean. But this is where that word rapture comes from. It comes from the Latin Bible. So, those verses we just looked at, with that word harpazo, coming to take Jesus by force, Holy Spirit carrying Philip away, the soldiers coming to take Paul away because he's in danger of death, and Paul being caught up into paradise, look what the, rap the Latin words are. Raperent, rapui, rapere, raptum, raptus, raptus, rapture. So, all these things, they came to rapture Jesus. Philip was raptured. The soldiers came to rapture Paul. Paul was raptured, caught up into paradise. So Paul is using this word to tell the church, look, what is going to happen to you is going to happen suddenly. It's going to happen quickly. You're going to be snatched away. You're going to be carried away to another place. Someone is coming for you to take you out of danger. And that's what he's trying to convey when he's talking about being caught up. Now don't worry, just stay with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Some, some believe this was Paul's first letter. The Thessalonians were in Thessalonica in Greece. They were going through a lot of persecution. When they became Christians, some of them died for their faith. They got hammered for believing in Jesus. But listen what Paul wrote. He says in verse 9, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. In other words, the way you received us when we were ministering. How you, Thessalonians, you Greek pagan men and women who turned to Jesus, you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come so Paul is saying you turn from your idols from your false gods you turn to serve the living God and in doing that in becoming a Christian now you are waiting for Jesus to come for you that is how they're living their lives now. And Paul is saying, well done. Keep going. He's saying that is the essence of being a Christian. Not just, you know, you're different, you're saved. 
you're going to heaven one day. God's dealt with your sin. But as a Christian, he's saying, that's your first calling. You're now waiting for Jesus to come and take you. So you can be with him. So you can see him. So you can be where he is. So you can be free from the suffering and the pain and the wickedness and the darkness and the evil of this world. And here we go. Paul uses a Greek word for waiting. Anameno. Anameno. And in that picture you see a little boy and his dog at the window. They're waiting. The little boy is waiting for his dad to come home. The dog knows his master is on his way. That word, waiting, anameno, means to wait up patiently with confidence that what or who you are waiting for is going to come. And expectantly, you are expecting, that boy is expecting his dad to come. If his dad wasn't coming until next week, there's no point in that boy standing by the window. His dad isn't coming. And Paul is saying to the Thessalonians, well done Thessalonians, you are waiting up for Jesus. You know Jesus is coming. You are expecting him. You are patiently waiting for him. You are confident that he's coming. Because you know he could come at any time. He wouldn't be saying, well well done for waiting, but Jesus isn't coming back for another hundred years. He's saying you are waiting because you know Jesus could come at any moment. That's all wrapped up in that Greek word. You're waiting for Jesus patiently, confidently, expectantly, because you know he's on his way. You just don't know the exact moment. Philippians chapter 3, Paul talks about waiting. And he says in verse 20, Our citizenship is in heaven. In other words, we belong to heaven. Even though we're on earth, we belong to heaven. And from it, we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. You read this all the way through the New Testament about how the church, Christians, are to be waiting for the saviour. Not waiting and, well, you know, one day it'll happen. But waiting confidently, expecting, is it today? Is it today, Lord? Perhaps today. Waiting for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. Now, this might shock you. I'm going to put a photograph up on the screen. It might shock you. I do apologize. But that was me when I was 19 years old. I just got my first passport as an adult. And um, I wasn't many months saved. I was born again in 1990. That passport says, and if you've got a passport, it'll say you're a British, or for many of you, it'll say British citizen. I'm a citizen of this country. You read the front of your passport, it'll tell you that as a British citizen, you've got certain benefits, certain pr privileges. And it says, if you have a passport, a United Kingdom passport, Wherever you travel, those countries are supposed to let you through, not cause you any problem. And if they do, you've got the British government and the King of Britain to back you up, to look after you, to care for you. The Philippians are living in like northern Greece, Macedonia it's called. 
They're under Roman protection. They're Roman citizens. They've got a lot of privileges. They don't have to pay taxes. They're protected by Rome. And Paul says, yeah, that's good. Philippians, that's good. But don't forget, first and foremost, before you're a Philippian, before you're a citizen of Rome under the emperor's protection, as a Christian, you belong to heaven. You belong to a greater ruler, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's watching over you, protecting you, guiding you through this world. Don't get so set on being a citizen of Philippi and knowing you've got the protection of the Roman Empire. Remember, you belong to Jesus Christ. You belong to a different kingdom now. So go through that world knowing that, living that out, and expecting at any moment that the king of that kingdom is coming for you. Right, question. What day is it? What day is it? It's not a trick question. It is really. <laughs> what day is it? Well, it's Saturday the 20th of January 2024. Right, well, that's the day for us here in, in England. But in the Bible, what day is it when Paul writes to the church in Rome? The night is far gone. The day is at hand close. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armour of light. What day is it? What day is it when Paul writes to the Corinthians in Greece? As you wait, you Corinthian Christians, you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you, he'll keep you, guide you, protect you until the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. What day? <coughs> Again, to the Corinthians, each one's work as Christians will become manifest, it will become evident, it will be shown. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. This day keeps popping up. In his second letter to the Corinthians, he says that on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is Paul's hope, that you will boast of us as we will boast of you. To the church in Philippi, in Macedonia, top of Greece. Wonderful promise. You can sing songs with this verse in it. I am sure of this, and I hope you are tonight, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. When? At the day of Christ Jesus. Right, this day is popping up all the way through these letters. Paul's final letter from prison in Rome, from a dungeon, and that was his dungeon. He said this to Timothy, his last words, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which we might think, yes, Paul, and you deserved it. The great apostle, what you went through, what you suffered, how you served God. But then he says, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing, all who are waiting for Jesus, all who are confident, expecting that any time he's coming, the king is coming, and he's going to catch us up, harpazo us, snatch us away, rapture us to heaven. 
What day? Is he talking about? Well, Hebrews. Very important to us. We belong to a local church. I believe it was Paul that wrote the letter to the Hebrews, but we don't know for definite. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, and all the more, do it more and more, as you see the day drawing near. What day is drawing near? Peter says it in his letters. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word, the scriptures, to which you will do well to pay attention until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So my question then is, is this day that Paul and Peter are talking about, is this day the second coming of Jesus Christ? When Jesus returns to the earth to rule and reign, to judge the nations, to save Israel, to make Israel a kingdom again, to rule and reign on David's throne from Jerusalem, is that the day that the apostles were talking about in their letters? Well, coming to the end of this session, let me read you some verses about the second coming of Jesus Christ to the earth. And then think, right, are these verses just like what we've read in Romans, Corinthians, Philippians, Hebrews, 2 Peter? Is it the same day? Zechariah, I'm not going to read all of these, but Zechariah chapter 14. He says, behold, a day is coming. Oh, there's that word again. He's talking about the same thing. A day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. This is happening. This is beginning now in the Middle East. <coughs> the city shall be taken. The houses plundered. Half of the city will go into exile. Then it says the Lord in verse 3 will go out and fight. The Lord Jesus will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley. You'll flee to the mountains. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. On that day, there'll be no light, cold, frost. On that day, verse 8, living waters will flow out from Jerusalem. And on and on it goes. A lot happening. Fighting, battles, nations, Jerusalem, the Jews, Israel. A day with no frost, living waters, an earthquake, the Mount of Olives splitting. Did you read any of those things in all those other verses? In Paul's letters and Peter's letters about the day. Did they talk about these sort of events? What about Matthew 24? This is when the Lord Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. Before he's crucified. And the disciples are looking at the temple thinking, Wow, Lord, look how magnificent the temple is. And Jesus says it's going to be destroyed. And the disciples say, Lord, when? When is the temple going to be destroyed? 
And when are you going to come back? And what's going to be the sign of the end of the world? The end of the age? And then the Lord Jesus gives all this prophecy about those who are going to come, deceitful men, false prophets. He talks about wars and rumours of wars, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, earthquakes, and says that's just the beginning. That's just the start of the birth pains. People betraying one another. Lawlessness on the increase. The love of many growing cold. Then he talks about the abomination of desolation in the temple. And refers to the prophet Daniel. We're going to come to that later on. He says, let the one on the housetop not go down. Let the one in the field, don't go back. He says it's going to be very hard for women who are pregnant. Pray that it doesn't happen on the Sabbath. Then there's going to be great tribulation. People are going to say, there he is, there's the Christ, there's the Messiah. And then immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And all the tribes of the earth shall mourn. There's a lot there. There's a lot of signs Jesus gave to his disciples about what the second coming would look like. What would happen immediately before Jesus returned to earth. Did we read any of those things in Romans? 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Philippians, 2 Peter, Hebrews, 2 Timothy, when they were all talking about the day. No, we didn't. There's no mention of Jerusalem, Mount of Olives, earthquakes, famines, wars, Antichrist, when the apostles are talking to the churches about the day. Because they were talking about the second coming. Jesus is talking here about the second coming. Zechariah, what we just read, that's all about the second coming. Horrific, scary, frightening. Jesus on the earth. Jesus judging, fighting for Israel. But the apostles are speaking to the church, to the Christians. And all that they're saying is, get ready for that day. Be ready. Purify yourselves. Love one another. Encourage one another. That day is coming near. He's not, they are not talking in those chapters about the second coming of Jesus. They're talking about the rapture. Something that comes before the second coming. Something that is private. Something that is secret. Something that is just for the church. And I don't mean everyone that calls themselves church. But for those who are born again. Who have asked Jesus to forgive them for their sins. Who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Who believe the Word of God and stand on the Word of God. Who meet together in fellowship like this tonight. All those references to the day and the day of the rapture. There's no signs. Paul doesn't say, Peter doesn't say, now when you see this happen, that happen, that happen, you're going to be raptured soon. He says, expect it, wait for it, look for it, long for it, because it can happen at any moment. That's the rapture. The second coming passages are all about the future after the rapture. When Jesus catches up, up away, he says he descends not to the earth, but to the clouds, to the air. We are caught up to meet him in the air and he takes us up into heaven. 
The second coming is when he comes right down to the earth and everybody sees him and he judges the nations. So there in Matthew 24, Jesus gives all these signs. And we can look at the signs today. We can see what's going on with Hamas. How they butchered 1,400 Jewish people, including babies and women and all the horrific things. And Israel's fighting back. And the world now is going, tut, 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 Israel, stop it, shouldn't be doing this. Leave the Palestinians alone, because the world hates Israel. Because the devil is in control of the world. And the devil hates Israel. Why? Because God loves Israel. Israel needs to call upon Jesus. So we see things in the world happening and we think, wow, the second coming, when Jesus returns to the earth, Matthew 24 and all those passages, that can't be far away because the world is crazy. It's demonic. It's horrific. So if the second coming of Jesus is close, how much closer is the rapture of the church? The rapture in the Bible is a signless event. Nothing has to happen, in other words, for the rapture to take place. I can say to you tonight, the Lord Jesus cannot return to this earth today, tomorrow, next week, next month, five years from now. The Lord Jesus cannot, will not return to the earth because he has said himself, certain things have to happen first. And a lot of that is to do with Israel and the Antichrist who is yet to come. But when it comes to the rapture, there's no signs. There's no events. We don't have to wait for something to happen. And, oh, it could be now. We have to live waiting, expecting, patient, longing, looking, preparing, purifying ourselves. Because we know, like a little boy looking out the window, my dad's coming back. My father's on his way. I know he's coming back today. We don't know that it's going to be today, but we know it can be today. So, at the end of this session, would you agree? Would you agree that there's only one true church in the whole world? There's not lots of true churches. There might be a church in Queensbury, a church in Maidstone, a church in Jerusalem. There might be a church in all America, Canada. But... As Christians, we all belong to one church, the church of Jesus Christ. Would you agree there's only one body of Christ? And you and I are it, along with the millions of other Christians all around the world. There's one body. I've got one body. I've not got two bodies. There's not another body at home. This is my body. It's one. The body of Christ. Would you agree there's one bride of Christ? You and I are it. And all the Christians around the world. There's one bride. Jesus isn't coming back for brides. There's lots of brides in this room. But Jesus has one bride, one body, one church. Would you agree? There's only one rapture. Of the church. Of the body of Christ. Of the bride of Christ. When Jesus comes, he's coming to rapture. Harpazo. Catch away the church. The body. The bride, all the church, all the body, all the bride, not some, not part, not those who are really holy and really loving Jesus and out there witnessing and out there evangelizing and praying six hours a day and 
There's that false teaching that is in the church, has been in the church for a long, long time, that Jesus is only going to take away those who are really ready. Those who are really serving, those who are really working hard. That's not anywhere in the Bible. Alright? On the day of the rapture, there's going to be Christians taken away who are not living for God. They're not living a right life. But they got their lives right with Jesus at the cross. They confessed their sin and said, Lord, forgive me. Amen. They were saved, they were born again, but they're not, they're not walking right. Amen. And on the day of the rapture, there'll be some Christians who are absolutely on fire for Jesus. And they're longing and loving for Him to come. The Bible, Paul tells us, yes, we will all go. It won't be some, it won't be a lot. Otherwise, it depends on us, how good we are, how holy we are. It just depends on Jesus and what he has done. But Paul warns, he says, there is a judgment seat. You're going to be raptured, but once you're raptured, you're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to judge you. And that's nothing to do with heaven and hell. That's settled the minute you say, Lord, forgive me. But at the Bema seat, Jesus is going to judge our lives. How we lived as Christians. And he says there will be many Christians. They'll go into heaven. But they'll have nothing. No rewards. Because all their works were nothing. They just lived a worldly life. They didn't live for Jesus. But those who did live for Jesus. They'll get rewards. As well as being in heaven. And Paul is saying. Don't be like those who just scrape into heaven. But you've got nothing to show for it. Get ready now, be waiting, be longing, be serving, be preparing. So that when you do stand before the Lord Jesus, he can say, well done. Here is my reward for you, you've been faithful. So in the next session, well, we're going to come to the question of the tribulation. Why we don't go through some of those horrific things that we read about that lead up to the second coming of Jesus. Why we have to go before these things take place. Joseph, come back to you. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Yeah, you come and ask me. Oh. <laughs> so...